Hi, I'm Bernard Leung and you may know me as the executive who reads the headlines on hotel and watch short videos on TikTok aka Douyin and in my spare time, I want to know how we should think about the bike dance group. You are listening to Analyze Asia, the weekly podcast dedicated to business technology and media in Asia. And today I have Matthew Brennan, co-founder of China Channel and host of China Tech Talk and also just broke the record of being the most recurring guest on Analyze Asia. Welcome, Matthew, and it's great to have you back again. Woohoo! I didn't know that. Okay, I broke the record. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll put that on my CV. <laughs> yeah, you've been having a very interesting time, like sitting on a four-hour talk by Alan Jung, who's basically the chief architect of WeChat under Tencent recently. So since our last conversation, what have you been up to? Yeah, I think Rich, that that was last week. That was a pretty big thing. Saw that one live, and everyone was writing about that in China. Very big deal, yeah. Good to see Alan John live again. You know, it's the WeChat annual conference is is always good to go to. And then recently, I'm just focusing on my book that I'm writing about WeChat and trying to get through that. And that's going really well. It's going very slowly, but it's going very well. So, <laughs> so how did Alan John manage to speak for four hours on stage with WeChat? Well, he did have a lot of pauses. To be fair, if you look at the video online. On the Tencent websites, when you cut out all of the breaks, it's actually only three and a half hours. But yeah, he talks quite slowly as well. He did stop to drink water like quite a, quite a few times. Yeah, he's he's not the best public speaker to be honest. He does get compared to Steve Jobs, but I think in terms of his presentation style, it's very low key. He's quite thoughtful. Does take time, you know, for the sentences to come out and for him to get to the point. He rambles quite a lot. He's not necessarily a good public speaker, but I think he is certainly an excellent sort of philosopher, as it were, a tech philosopher. And he thinks very deeply about his product. And in China, everyone uses WeChat so many hours per day that you know when he gets on the stage, only once a year to give some thoughts about how things are, you know, why the product is the way it is, why do they make these choices? I think everyone wants to listen to that. Okay, on a different subject. Because we are going to cover Alan John and WeChat things sometime later when things simmer down. But I want to ask you this: so recently you have released a tweet talking about Luckin Coffee's leaked financials from Career In. What are reported in the financials, and what insights can we draw from them? Because this is a good follow up from our last conversation on Luckin Coffee. Yeah, it is good follow up. The leaked financials. Basically, Luckin's losing a lot of money, <laughs> more than I thought in terms of. How you would expect them? You know, obviously they are losing money. I mean, they're they're quite open about that. I think they're in a startup sort of stage. They're probably going to have very high amounts of stores that have been open for a relatively short period of time and are nowhere near break even right now. But what we don't know is, you know, the stores that they opened up early. How are those doing? I think that would give us a much clearer picture. You know, the early stores, which are you know have a more mature customer base. How are those guys doing? So yeah, definitely. Some people will use that, point to that, and say, you know, this is another China business that's not going to turn a profit. It's all hype. I'm still fairly confident. You know, the founding team addressed this as well. So they had a, an event recently, and they said, look, you know, we're we're veterans of the industry. This is not Ofo. We're not like spoiled rich brats, <laughs> basically. You know, we're experienced entrepreneurs who are in this quite seriously, and、uh, we know what we're doing. So, was their take on it? That is interesting because those financials actually give you the cost per revenue per coffee, and basically they're giving out one point five coffees for every 
coffee soap. But I think that situation is going to change, right? I mean, they're definitely doing a lot of coupons. That's always been their strategy. Yeah. I mean, as a, someone who purchases Luckin quite regularly, I'm encouraged by the fact that they are actually slowly raising their prices. So the discounts that they're still offering a lot of discounts, but they've since I think the new year they're making a lot of changes actually in the pricing. So small things which are you know not directly the price of the actual cup of coffee, but maybe half a year ago you could get free delivery if you would just make a purchase relatively low amount, something like twenty yuan. Uh, so about three dollars. Now you have to make a purchase of about ten dollars in order to get that free delivery. So that's quite a big difference for small orders. Before they're probably subsidising that delivery. Now they're not. And then the discounts on the food, which used to be about you know fifty percent off, now it's thirty three percent off. Things like that. So they're ratcheting it up slowly in stages, but it is going. You know they're trying to wean their customers off those subsidies quite clearly. I'm presumed that we're going to have a continuing conversation on Luckin Coffee in a later stage. But today, I want to talk to you about the Bike Dance Group. We have both done previous episodes on Jingru Tokyo of Tokyo, a smart news app, and Douyin, aka TikTok to the rest of the world, a short video sharing app. They are all done by the same entity, which we now call the Bike Dance Group. Can you describe the mission and vision of Bike Dance Group, and where are they now? Bike Dance Group is an interesting one because up until recently they were actually referred to as Jimra Totiao. So, still in China, a lot of people know this entity as a daily headline as Jimra Totiao, and it's referred to as Jimra Totiao by a lot of people. They really only started pushing the name Bike Dance, which is the official name, and I think it's always been the official name of the company. But people have only really start referring to it since the rise of TikTok, since the rise of Douyin, because before that. Daily headline was the flagship product. It was the thing that everyone knew it for, so it kind of made sense to just refer to them by that name. Last year, they put out a new company website, ByteDance.com. You can check that out. They've got English language information on there, but conspicuously, there's a lack of a real sort of strong company positioning and statement. I think that does speak to the fact that ByteDance is, you know, a pretty typical. Young internet company in China. It's not so much about mission statement. Chinese internet sector in general is a bit like that. Actually, they're not very mission driven as such. I think exceptions to that might be Alibaba. Tencent also struggles with this. You know, like they do have mission statements, but it, the company doesn't really live by them. It's all about growth. It's all about being a big company. On the website, I'm just calling it now. Our vision is to build global creation and interaction platforms. We aim not just to deliver information, but to serve as a creative hub, hosting and nurturing creators. Yeah, so it's a bit fuzzy, and I don't think there's any like clear positioning as such there. But when we think of Bike Dance, we definitely think of AI. I think if I was to describe them, I'd say you know this is an AI company. So that's what's exciting about them. Recommendation algorithm is the core competency of their business. They're very much a content company. The positioning, and they now are also positioning themselves as a very young company. That they're about youth. So, for example, they have also recently raised a very big round. I think somewhere along the lines of three billion US dollars from SoftBank, which valued them at seventy-five billion valuation. Are there any more follow-up rounds from there, or are they going to move towards the IPO as what people have talked about? Yeah, so most people, well, many people are saying that they'll IPO this year. I think at their current rate, 
it seems to be going that way. Yeah, and their vision is to be a global company. They've said that explicitly. In fact, their vision is to have like 50% of their uh, users and revenue outside China, I think by next year, I think it was the quote from Zhang Yimia. But, you know, th this company is going for fast growth, definitely. In terms of the investments from, yeah, the big one was 3 billion from SoftBank. Since then, there's been talk of them getting a loan. I think that's 1.5 billion that they were looking for a loan. But in terms of their spend right now, they're definitely burning a lot of cash. I mean, we can see that they've got a very aggressive global user acquisition uh, campaign. And you're seeing that online where they're burning a lot of money with YouTube ads, for example. Anyone who's been on YouTube will see a TikTok ad recently. And offline in places like, you know, London on the underground, in New York, I know they're also doing lots of offline advertisement. So this is a company that is spending quite a lot. I expect them to have another round this year, certainly in the first half of this year. Many pundits and many tech reporters have sort of viewed ByteDance as the truly first global company that comes up from China. I think a lot of credit is to Zhang Yiming, the legendary founder of ByteDance. Can you give an introduction to him and what is it about him that makes ByteDance so successful? Yeah, definitely. He's a very interesting entrepreneur from Fujian province. To give you some context, he is quite young, right? So like Mark Zuckerberg is just one year younger than him. The guy's born in 1983. So he's actually younger than me. So he's from Fujian province. He's actually very good friends, close friends with Wang Xing, the CEO of Meituan Dinping. Fujian province, uh, for those who don't know, is in the southwest of China. It's actually opposite Taiwan. And it's quite famous for producing merchants and people who are entrepreneurial. You know, this is a serial entrepreneur. He has started, you know, several ventures before ByteDance. Nothing on ByteDance's scale. You know, he previously served as director of technology at Kusun, which is in the travel sector. It was actually later acquired by TripAdvisor. And he's got a bachelor degree of software engineering. So he's an engineer by trade. And uh, so he's a very technical guy, got a very good understanding of the high technology, you know, the sort of AI that's powering the system, the back end of all their applications. So other than him, who are the other key people within his management team that we need to watch out for in ByteDance? Yeah, I was doing research on this for a report that I hope to put out later this year on them. And, you know, to be honest, I couldn't find too many interesting names. They got, you know, the founders of Musical.ly. They acquired Musical.ly, those two guys, Alex and Lulu Young. You know, they're interesting characters because perhaps we'll get it onto later on. But actually, Musical.ly is now part of ByteDance, but they were the real original innovators for TikTok. The user experience there comes from Musical.ly. So those guys have a pretty important role to play in the journey of ByteDance. And then, you know, they've got some pretty heavy names in AI, of course. They've got Wei Ying Ma, which is the vice president and head of the AI labs. He's like former 15 years at Microsoft in Beijing. So he's a pretty big name in the sort of AI community. And then they have another AI guy, Dr. Hongqiang Zhang. So he's like actually ranked as a, in terms of AI talents as one of the top names in China. And he's head of the Technical Strategy Research Center. So, you know, ByteDance has actually been rapidly expanding their staff. They put out some statistics a couple of weeks ago, actually, saying that the overall staff of ByteDance globally has more than doubled over 2018. So these guys are, are rapidly acquiring talent. 
and he's probably the real most equivalent of Mark Zuckerberg from China. Yeah. Because based on the business model and the way how the apps are developing, it's very similar to Facebook in another life. Yeah, so the similarity between him and Mark, they're not just in terms of age, but yeah, very much so in terms of business model. Facebook is a newsfeed-based business model, so they have many different properties, one of which is the world's most popular messaging app, WhatsApp, but the monetization all happens on essentially two newsfeeds, which will be Instagram newsfeed and uh, Facebook's newsfeed. And so that monetization model of advertisements on a newsfeed is strongly correlated with how ByteDance makes the vast majority of the revenue. So ByteDance had the most impressive record of not being funded by Tencent and Alibaba. And the market cap for the company by the recent round from SoftBank exceeds Baidu now, I think. How did they manage to do that? Yeah, it is difficult. Certainly. And I think the key there is the gap they saw, the white space in the market that they attacked was actually that there was no true equivalent of the Facebook newsfeed in China. No one was doing that space well, which was the opportunity, I think, that allowed them to scale and grow with their original flagship product, Daily Headline, right, Jimro Totiao. So Jimro Totiao is a newsfeed-based product. It's you know, a highly personalized newsfeed of mostly news articles. It's not really very socially driven, but it's a kind of newsfeed that is a fairly, in some respects, similar to the Facebook newsfeed. Whereas on WeChat, for example, the main newsfeed in there, which is Moments, is a very different experience. And they've actually kind of shunned the Facebook model, shunned it not only in terms of advertisement, which I think anyone who's familiar with Tencent will already be aware of, that they're very conservative with ad inventory on that newsfeed, but also it's a newsfeed which is not optimized by algorithms at all is simply organized by time of the posts in there and it's very much one that's meant to be focused on sharing of your real sort of daily insights into your life so pictures of what you're doing it's meant to be for family and friends it's relatively low tech so this really allowed a gap in the space in the market for a a news feed that was really really heavily powered by an algorithm essentially in order to optimize that content to give you what you want to see it's very, very interesting in terms of like, you know, news feeds. News feeds can be completely different, right? You have like the Twitter news feed, Facebook news feed. In terms of the algorithms and how they create the content, it makes a huge difference in terms of, you know, the user experience. So there was a gap there. No one was really copying Facebook and doing their style too well. Even Weibo, for example, which would be the other major property in social in China, Weibo is very much focused about key opinion leaders. It's focused about celebrities. They weren't doing such a great job in terms of providing you know, personalized news feed, created news content. So that was the gap that they originally attacked and allowed them to scale and grow to a certain size where they could be independent. They did that quite quickly. It really took the industry by surprise, I think. I remember we did a podcast on China Tech Talk about a year and a half ago now. And that's when the sort of industry had woken up to this daily headline being so important and being actually so addictive was the thing that people were talking about at that time. Things have changed so much since then. This is an extremely fast-growing company. Everyone's talking about TikTok now. So there was a very nice tweet that came from one of my listeners who says that maybe they should be replacing the B in the BAT, which is Baidu. And my question to you is, should that be the case? Because Baidu is basically kind of becoming more and more laggering behind ByteDance, Alibaba, and Tencent. Yeah, yeah, I've said the same thing several times. So I think uh, 
it's this strong case, right? But I did really fail to get a really good entry point in the mobile internet. That was the problem that they've did extremely well in desktop era. But when we moved into mobile, you know, they have a presence in mobile, obviously, you know, and they have ITE, for example, which does very well. And I'm not saying they don't do anything on mobile, but they compared to Alibaba and Tencent, they really, that shift from desktop to mobile, they really kind of didn't make that jump so well. So they're really continuing to suffer for that. You know, they're still a very profitable company. They still have the search advertisement, which is a great positioning. But uh, so I don't want to talk them down too much. But compared to ByteDance, you know, ByteDance is, is a much more exciting company now. You know, as you alluded to earlier, this is the company that can span globally. They're extremely strong presence in the China market. And now this last year in 2018, especially, I think it was a breakout year for them globally. And now in, in 2019, looking forward, and this is a company which is strong outside China, strong inside China. We haven't really seen a company like this, you know, that compete with Facebook outside China, competes with, say, Tencent inside China and does both of these worlds. So it's going to be a quite special company. They've been taking too many competitors on many fronts, but I want to understand what are the products within the portfolio of ByteDance Group. We know Tohiao, we know TikTok, aka Douyin. Are there any other products as well? Oh, loads. I mean, I'm used to covering Tencent for years. And actually, there's a quote from the Tongshun Zhuan, the story of Tencent, where actually they said, like, Pony Ma, the author asked, you know, does anyone actually know how many products Tencent has? How many apps they have? And the reply was like, I don't think even Pony Ma could tell you that. I think ByteDance is becoming like that rapidly, where <laughs> the number of apps and different platforms and products they have, you know, is expanding rapidly. It's getting difficult to track them all. They're really going, you know, making a lot of acquisitions and they're also bringing out their own sort of homegrown products as well. But the two core ones, the ones that are by far the most important are the original daily headline, Junro Totiao. And then the TikTok or Douyin, as it's called in, in Chinese. These are the two flagship products. Other famous ones apart from those would be, you know, Watermelon Video, Sigua Xiaoshiping in China, which is sort of a longer form video platform. And then uh, Horshan uh, Volcano, which I think is called Virgo Video outside China. So there's a couple of other like strong video properties that they have in their portfolio. There's another one called Neihuan Duanza, which means sort of inside a joke. That's famous because it got shut down during one of the crackdowns on content from the Chinese government. And that was a very early product for ByteDance. It has sort of niche following. So that's an interesting one in their portfolio as well. Mm. So just to follow up, can you elaborate a bit more on Huoshan? Because I think Sequa, I understand, is a long-form video sharing app. But what about Huoshan? Yeah, Huoshan is a bit more sort of like for lower-tier users in China. Whereas the original position of Douyin, I think it's changed. It's become mainstream now. But originally, everyone was saying it's for young kids in tier one cities, right? It was meant to be for your kids in Beijing and Shanghai. Whereas Huoshan is, is, is much more for lower tier city users. And of course, then there is also Musical.ly, who's now merged into Douyin, right? Great. Yeah, I forgot that one. Yeah, Musical.ly is now part of Douyin. So that was a very important acquisition for them. For a couple of reasons. One, as I alluded to earlier, like Musical.ly was the original innovator. The user experience of TikTok is a clone of Musical.ly. So those guys, you know, they were the ones to come out with the original innovation. And then also, you know, in terms of the user base there that they acquired in the States, I think that's very quite critically important for the global expansion of TikTok. Essentially, they're acquiring that user base and then integrating two apps together. There was a lot of, shall we say, 
fight back from the users when the two apps got merged, when Musical.ly essentially changed into TikTok. Uh, I think a, a lot of the user base was sort of alienated by that move. But I think over the long term, it's going to prove pretty smart. Just gave them immediately a large user base in the States for them to play with. And now it seems to be that TikTok's doing quite well. So what are the major revenues for ByteDance Group now? As in mainly all advertising, like similar to Facebook? Yeah, obviously they're not a public company yet, so we don't have anything too granular. But you can see it's very much an advertisement-driven business model. The two core flagship products would be the ones that are contributing to revenue by far the most, I would say. And it's not exclusively advertisement. For example, in TikTok, they have live stream in there as well. And that's, you know, that's a model that works off virtual gifting. And they've been pushing that quite heavily recently as well quite clear they've made a lot of trademark registrations recently in the payments area so we can expect them to move into payments pretty soon so that will open up another revenue model as well i guess so they are diversifying it's not exclusively advertisement driven but i would say definitely that's not quite facebook in terms of like 98 percent or something but my estimate i would say it's 90 percent ads driven i would guess and one of the interesting things that was pointed out by Shai Oster from the information was that they are printing money. So the ROI for brands to actually advertise on TikTok and Douyin is far better than any of the other yes. social apps in China. Am I right to say that? Yeah, definitely. I've run the numbers on the ad inventory. So like they have TikTok, for example, when you open it up, you'll see an advert. The first four videos, the number four video will be an advertisement. And then after that, every five minutes that you're in the application, you'll see another advert. The adverts are full screen, immersive videos with sound. They autoplay directly. You know, as a user of Douyin in China, I think the adverts are quite good. Quite often want to watch them, not always, but essentially a lot of them are app install ads as well. And I think they're using a large portion right now of their inventory to drive app downloads of their family of apps. So they're sort of actually holding back a little bit in terms of they could open up a lot of inventory to generate revenue, but actually the significant part of it now is for user acquisition of their other properties. So given that they are so successful, what are their major risks then? Uh, well, there's definite risks. I mean, outside China, the big risk is Facebook. The other big risk is Facebook cloning them, especially with TikTok right now, sort of integrating similar feature or functionality into, let's say, Instagram, for example. So that would be a big risk. We've seen what they've done with Snapchat, but it seems like that would be a secondary risk compared to, you know, at least in the States market, they also have a risk where uh, they're a Chinese company, Chinese company that's an AI-empowered algorithm that's very addictive for young people. I think they will spend a lot of time in TikTok eventually. And, um, you know, that's going to position them quite badly in terms of regulation and getting in trouble with the American government, especially with the trade wars that's going on and, and, and sort of the relationship there that's souring. So I think in the States, they've definitely got risk there. Within China, of course, the Chinese government, as I just mentioned a couple of minutes ago, you know, they've already had one app completely shut down, right? Just like that entire user base gone. So they've had their risks slapped already. And that's not the only time that Beijing's government has indicated that these guys need to clean up their act, that they're not happy with the content on the platforms. We're seeing that the environment for content in China is getting stricter and stricter. I don't think that's going to change in the long run. So there's definitely risks there as well. 
And then in terms of, I think the final risk point would be that just these apps are incredibly addictive due to the way they're set up. They all have the same back end. They all have the same technology behind them due to their business model. The idea is that, you know, for them, it's the more time you spend in their apps, the more ads you're going to see. That's what they want you to do. That positions them very poorly, I think, in the long run. We've seen globally the sort of backlash against Facebook has been quite heavy. And I expect a very similar, perhaps even worse backlash to happen against ByteDance eventually. And then you've got these apps, which are the content in the actual apps, you know, is a lot of it's clickbait, a lot of it, you know, they do have problems regulating it, and a lot of fake news in there as well. And this is interesting, right? Because the big difference between China and the US is that there is the Chinese government that will regulate the content. And they already have a taste of it. In fact, I think ByteDance also is getting people to actually moderate their content as compared to Facebook. One thing that really makes me find it very intriguing is why they didn't take the same content moderation approach across to other markets, like for example, India and Southeast Asia, instead of trying to do what Facebook does and let things run amok. Oh, well, you know, it, the answer to that is quite simple. I mean, it's just growth at all costs right now. Just grow, grow, grow. Go, you know, very much Facebook style, you know, move fast and break things, right? That's what they're doing right now. It's just, you know, hire as fast as you can, throw money at paid user acquisition as fast as you can, and then just worry about these other sort of issues. Deal with them as and when they come up. That seems to be the strategy. But you saw that happen to Tencent with respect to gaming, right? The People's Daily, which is the most well-known newspaper in China, gave an op-ed and basically run them down. They did the same to them in Neihatanzi. And then it forced Zhang Yiming to apologize. Didn't they learn from that as well? Yeah, but that's within China, right? I'm talking mostly for, for their global growth. You know, that right now is move fast and break things. Within China, I think they're probably more reserved. So now later we'll catch up with them because I've been hearing within the community that like, for example, the country managers of Facebook has been caught by every government in Southeast Asia about fake news and all these things. Yes. They can grow, but at some point they will also subject themselves to the same risk. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to ask you, you are probably the only person that I know looks at ByteDance expansion outside of China and they are coming up as a major competitor against Facebook compared to Tencent. How have they performed outside China so far, for example, in India and Southeast Asia? Yeah, they're doing very well in India. Actually, on our podcast, the next one we have lined up, there was a great article written by Factor Daily recently about how Chinese apps are doing much better in India in the past year. There's been a big increase of the number of Chinese apps in the top 100. And the ones that are actually doing best are, are from ByteDance. And uh, they've got even an app called Hello that's positioned just for the Indian market. But TikTok's doing very well there also. And so is, as we mentioned before, the uh, Volcano video or, or Virgo video. That one's doing uh, very well in the market too. So, you know, beyond India, from what I hear from the ByteDance team themselves, Turkey is also doing really well. They're clearly doing well in the States as well. You know, there's been a lot of coverage of them in major global media. And then most of the coverage has been fairly positive to date, actually, that people feel that TikTok is quite refreshing. You know, I think people are tired of Facebook products, essentially. I think the media is very anti-Facebook right now. And TikTok is at an early stage, so they're not monetizing it much. There is a little bit of monetization going on, but very much in an early growth stage right now where it's all about optimizing for user engagement. So, you know, the actual product itself, it's mostly uh, goofy videos of young people doing silly things 
lots of dancing, miming in there and, and like comedy videos. I think it probably is quite refreshing and, and quite new for most people. So yeah, in some respects, it's at a very, very different stage to where Douyin is in China. So what are the things we are going to look forward to from Black Dance Group in 2019 then? Yeah, 2019 is definitely going to be, a, I see it being a strong year for them. Obviously, there could be something come out of left field. We know that right now the markets are a little bit shaky. Certainly within China, there's a lot of talk that the economy is going to do quite poorly in 2019. And there's a recent article out saying that they were struggling to reach their targets for ad revenue towards the end of 2018. Sort of macro economy. The outlook is less good, especially in China. But, you know, the user experience is compelling. I think that TikTok itself is, in terms of micro videos, this is something that has done extremely well in China. You know, they have 250 million daily active users now. They announced that two days ago within China. And that graph is reporting quite strong growth. You know, a year ago, that number was about 70 million daily active users. And for social products, daily active user is a much better metric i think than monthly active user you know you can hack monthly active users if you want but it's quite difficult to hack a daily active user so it's a very good indication that their product is very sticky that their user base is growing very strong and so i expect to see that kind of growth from 70 to 250 that we've seen in china last year for tiktok outside china i expect to see something similar simply because the product experience is compelling and it's quite clear it's already got traction Matthew, many thanks for coming on the show to talk about Bike Dance Group. And I'm pretty sure this is not the end of the story. It's probably the beginning of the story. Yeah, it is. And I'm pretty sure that there's going to be a lot to talk about. Well, in closing, can you recommend a book, podcast, or anything that has recently made an impact to your work and personal life? Yeah, I've got some great books at the moment. Recently, I haven't read it yet, but I'm very much looking forward to it. Ogilvy on Advertising. Quite of an old school book, but a classic on advertisement from Ogilvy. And so I've got that one and let's see. Oh yeah, I've got I've got it right here. The Partnership, The Making of Goldman Sachs. It's quite a big book actually, but I've had it recommended to me. I think that's going to be a good one. Really looking forward to that. Mm, that's a pretty good one. I've just recently read a pretty interesting book. Actually, I think it's more for myself to find a more effective method to give myself a way to be more productive every day. It's called the bullet journal method by Ryder Carroll. And I've started using notebooks again to actually keep track of my daily progress as well. So I thought that if you are looking for hacks, this is probably the best place to go. So how do my audience find you then? Find me on Twitter and LinkedIn is two very good places. Also on WeChat, of course, and then on the website as well. And of course, the podcast, so China Tech Talk. <laughs> Yes, I will definitely put a link to that. And you can find me at Bernard Leung. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Acast, and Google Play in the US market. This episode is co-produced by Carol In and myself. And of course, tweet to me if you have any feedback. We are probably going to be releasing the audience survey, which I owe to everyone for the longest time. So we will probably be announcing it through our various channels, social media, for example, Facebook, Twitter, and probably for me, maybe even putting it on WeChat as well. So Matthew, once again, thank you for coming on the show. And I look forward to speak to you soon. Thank you, Bernard. Pleasure as always.